Hi all, we have a great episode for you today. We will be chatting with Sigu Magwa, but before we get started, I do have a quick announcement for you. Here at SmartLogic, we're currently hiring for two new leadership positions, a VP of Business Development, who will be responsible for securing new accounts for SmartLogic, and also a VP of Consulting Services, who will be responsible for both the delivery of SmartLogic's services and growing the size of our accounts. Both positions are fully remote from anywhere in the U.S. If this is you or anyone else you'd know, we would love to hear from you. So head on over to smartlogic.io slash jobs to learn more and apply. Okay, now here's the show. Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by SmartLogic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. My name is Sunday Mint, and I'll be your host. I'm joined by my guest host, Owen Bickford. Hey, Owen. Hey, Sandy. <laughs> and my producer, Bonnie Lander. This season's theme is Impact of Elixir, and we're joined today by special guest, Sigu Magua, founder of Podi. Hi, Sigu. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. And I just want to say this is a fun crew we've got here today. Owen, thank you for guest hosting. Alex is currently is traipsing the right word across the country. You know, the great American adventure with her humongous dog in tow. So we love that for her. And Sigu, you're also actually kind of going on the Great American Adventure. You're you're visiting the US right now. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. What have you seen? Where have you been? Oh, yeah. Currently, I'm in California. So I've been to the Golden Gate Bridge, still struggling to understand what's amazing in that. I need someone to explain to me what's so amazing at the Golden Gate Bridge. But yeah, I've been there. I've looked at it from a couple of angles from down below. I've driven through it. I've gone up the hill and just watched it from high above during the sunset. I still need someone to explain to me what's so amazing about the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> I'm amazed that you were able to see it because every time I've been there, it's been just covered in fog. Owen, have you ever seen it? I was going to say, like the, I think maybe the most, like the best way to see it is when it's kind of like partially covered with fog. So it's kind of like emerging out of nowhere. But yeah, I, I'm kind of with Sigu. I was like, I went there in high school, and I was like, that's a bridge. <laughs> you know, we've got newer <laughs> that's bridges a now. Bridge. So, yeah, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Cool. Well, Sigu, you are originally from Kenya, correct? Oh yes, yes, I'm from Kenya originally. Oh, and talking about the trip, the other amazing thing was being able to see the Times Square and all the TVs that we always see in the movies. And when I was there, I was like, oh, there are TVs on the building. Okay, mm -hmm. awesome. So <laughs> that was another awesome trip. And the White House is literally smaller than what it is. When I got there, I thought it's a big white building. But when you get there, it's a very, very small building. I think the secret is that most of it is underground. That's what we hear. That's what we hear, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Am I giving away state secrets? Uh, we'll never uh, know. It's it's actually different now. So I'm sorry I missed you. That would have been fun to catch up with you while you were here in D.C. But yeah, I think it's been changed a little bit. Like there used to be a pathway where you could watch what you would be watching for. But, you know, you could like walk past it and stuff. And that's where the Renwick Museum is and all of that. But the last time I saw it, down in that area downtown it was like very barricaded and, and very like traffic was changing and and a ton of stuff so i actually haven't seen it in a long time but i can see how it would be underwhelming oh yeah <laughs> from like the movies and stuff yeah 
you get there and it's so small. Unfortunately, we got there in the evening, not really evening, uh, it was already sunset, so we could not get a really good view of it and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So how long are you traveling the U.S. for? Well, I've been here for about four months and it's enough of the U.S. <laughs> are you ready to go home? Oh, yes. I'm so ready to go home. I'm going home in the next three days. Uh-huh. Yeah, from this recording, I'm going home in the next three days. I miss home so much. Can't wait just to go hang out with home buddies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of home, can you tell us more about Elixir Kenya and the like Elixir scene in, in your area? Oh, awesome. So Elixir Kenya, that's actually something that I really miss, being able to attend the meetups. So currently the time zone difference does not allow me to because I'll have to wake up at 1 a.m. to attend the meetups. So Elixir Kenya, currently we do have different kinds of meetups. So we have our weekly meetup. Our weekly meetups happen on Mondays. It should be at 11.30 o'clock GMT every Monday. So we've been experimenting with this a lot. We started by working on open source projects together. This was driven by the fact that talking about Podi, we were at Podi. We are the only people who knew Kenyans who are working on Elixir. So it was a way for us to reach out to other Kenyans who are working on Elixir and kind of share our knowledge as we get their knowledge about how they're working with Elixir. So that's why we started with open source projects. We did the open source projects for quite a long time. Then that model did not become so sustainable. So we changed and right now. It's more about learning. So if I'm not wrong, I've been a little bit out of sync, but we are still doing the OTP track. We started with the simplest OTP stuff, and now we should be somewhere almost completing the OTP track. So the Monday meetup, it's a very nice interactive mob session where you just come, ask your quote-unquote dumb questions. Everyone will be happy to answer because at least for a dumb question, there's always an answer. <laughs> for the very complicated questions, I always, ah, I'll look that up. So that's our weekly meetups. We also have the monthly webinars. The monthly webinars was just, we got to a point where, okay, now we know the Kenyans. We speak the same language. We're almost thinking the same way. So what if we could invite other people from everywhere else in the world? So we started doing webinars every last Friday of the month and inviting external guests. We actually started within. So the first webinar was actually someone from Podi. And the second one, I guess. And that was when we were just trying to reach out to other people. The team is doing an amazing job. The Elixir Kenya team is doing an amazing job for organizing the meetups, the webinars, looking for the speakers and just coordinating and getting everyone on board. This has been there for, I think, two years, two to three years, I'm not sure. But it started about 2019 for the webinars. Is there like a mix of kind of beginners, first time coding, learning Elixir, or are these people coming from Java or other languages? The webinars, it's actually a mixture of, it depends on the speaker because we don't necessarily discriminate speakers. We reach out to someone. We just reach out to you if you're working on Elixir. So depending on your level of expertise, we always accommodate what you want to share with us. So we don't have specific themes or anything in particular. We just reach out to people. So they decide what they want to share with us. So you're seeing a lot of variety? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of variety. Last month, the last webinar, it should have been about IoT, if I'm not wrong. So it's a lot of variety. We've also had Frank, if I'm not wrong, 
talking about now. So I just don't know what's going to be next. I don't know what's going to be the next <laughs> webinar. It might be something to do with live view. It might be something to do with mm. Postgre and Ecto. And yeah, so we just really don't have a theme for that. Anytime I hear nerves, I'm curious. Okay, like what which kind of devices are we talking about? Like traditional home security or are you seeing something new coming out of that? Those examples? Oh, yeah. The few people I've seen work with NAVs, they usually experiment that with the Raspberry Pi. So our community is an interesting one. Home security can be a very nice application of the NAVs project. But our security system in our community, if you do have that, then it doesn't really solve a particular problem. So we are trying different ways of using the IoT technology to solve our problems. Part of it is not related to our community, but I met someone at the ElixirConf this year. They're actually using NAVs for some, was it weather related and the climate somewhere in the western part of Kenya? I think it was weather, climate, and just collecting all that data. I don't really remember exactly how they were using it. It wasn't Weathermatic, was it? No. Which company was that? It's based right here in the US, actually. Hmm. Yeah. Well, if anybody out there listening knows an Elixir company that's doing some cool data processing on weather in Kenya, we have a Discord. We'd love you to join, <laughs> chat with us. You know, the day this episode comes right out, drop in and tell us the answer. We want to know. You've mentioned your company name a few times. Can you tell us like the elevator pitch about it? Maybe why you decided you wanted to start, you know, your own company and where is it at right now? What are you all up to? Oh, awesome. Why I started out the company, I was actually driven by the fact that, first of all, I like training. So it started out as a training school. So I started doing the training school, but later on realized that it's better if I retain the talent and look for people and look for work to do this. Uh, we initially started out in Ruby. That was in 2018. We started out working in Ruby, then made a switch to Elixir. That's story later on we currently work with we do custom software in web apps for clients so a consultancy or oh yeah so we are a consultancy firm doing web applications for clients and mobile applications do you concentrate on, on any particular market not at the moment are uh, we not concentrating on any particular market but anyone starting out mostly on the startup so any startup, we work with them. We purely work with Elixir nowadays. We no longer mix Ruby and Elixir. The team is fully remote, and most of us are in Kenya. Cool. I always admire when people see a problem and just go out and, and make the thing. I think that all the time, and then I just go make food and eat it. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, Sandy, I've had an interesting experience running the company. There was this one time we had a potential client. This client was from somewhere in Europe. And uh, they requested for our quote. We excitedly went out, prepared something and gave it to them. We had a couple of calls. And during one of these calls, the potential client actually told us that our rates are a little higher. It's the same rate that they will be charged in Netherlands. Okay. And I was like, mm-hmm, next. But you're in Africa. Uh-huh. So I thought your rates will be lower. And I told them, I think we are charging for the services, not for the location. So if you think we are not worth the rate, just let us know. But don't use our location as a determinant as to how much we need to 
charge you for the services. That was like the most interesting conversation I ever had with someone who literally, quote unquote, discriminates you because of where you come from. Wow. And they just want to pay you lower. Uh, we ended up not working with them because that to me was kind of a deal breaker. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, more power to you to be able to walk from walk away from getting in any kind of situation, a client relationship or employer relationship that you don't feel comfortable with. That's mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy to think about, but those situations are out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I honestly didn't expect such a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wild. Well, how large are you all? What kind of are you you all looking for more more work or more more people or you know, this is your space, you know? Oh. Pitch and plug <laughs> and all the good things. Awesome. We are a team of five at the moment. An amazing team. We've been around most of the team members have been around for more than two years, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, we've been around for more than two years, most of the team members. The company is about three years old, so that's that's a very good time to be around. We have worked on interesting projects. One of them is called the Quiz Guadaminos, which was heavily borrowed from Brewstead's Tetris block, but now you use it to learn cybersecurity. This is for a client, uh, S-Fractal Consulting. It's in the cybersecurity field, so you play the game, and while you play the game, you need to be pausing and answering particular security questions. Otherwise, you're going to lose the game. So the website should be quizquadblocks dot org or you'll need to add that on the show notes uh, in case anyone is interested in checking that out and this is open to anybody just to play oh yeah yeah anyone can play you can go play in anonymously you can sign in with your github uh, during security conferences it's actually being used whenever duncan uh, who is the client goes out to the security conferences uh, people sign up and get awards while playing that particular game sounds really cool you should try it out it's really really awesome yeah that's fun yeah, it's an example of what we've worked on so far. I have a question kind of about broader trends that you're seeing in Kenya. Are you seeing, like, obviously, we're talking about Elixir. Are you seeing, like, is Kenya like a Java ecosystem or does it have any, is there like a common preference like that or is it a little bit of everything? That's a good question. We have famous languages, of course. So corporates prefer Java in Kenya. A lot of corporates prefer Java. I have another friend who is working on a consulting company. They're working with a bank, and the bank, you can't work with anything other than Java. The most interesting use case of Elixir that I've ever seen in Kenya is for government services. It's an essential government service that runs on Elixir, Phoenix to be specific. I don't know how they got there. They've been there for a very long time. I've tried getting in touch with them. If they listen to this podcast, they need to reach out. I really tried Mm -hmm. to get in touch with them and just know how was the decision made? How did they convince the government to use Elixir and Phoenix for the services? How long is a long time? How long is a long time? (laughs) Because we all know it's not that old. Yeah, (laughs) let me see. And we all know government tech could be. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) If I check, it should be around 2016, 17 or 18. I'm really not sure. So more importantly, are they using, is everything live view or is it? Oh, no. (laughs) Since it's a technology that was way back then, I'm pretty sure they don't Mm. have live view in there. But it's one of the most stable government websites I've ever visited and have a service in. That's, yeah, it's my opinion, but I'm pretty sure about that. It's very stable. I'm jealous. I wish we had some Phoenix government websites. (laughs) (laughs) 
if you need to register a company in Kenya, you need to use that website. It's the only way you can register your company. If you need, is it? No, the taxpayers, no, you don't use that. But registering a company, you definitely need to use it. Or if you need to get your passport, you will use that website. Wow. Yep. I was as amazed as you are, Sandy. Sounds pretty important. <laughs> I mean, I'm just so jealous right now because, <laughs> I mean, obviously there are certain services here in the government sector that just take so long mm -hmm. and they're just so frustrating. I spent a week trying to untangle a parking permit on my street. A week. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I called like three police stations just for them to be like, it's not uh, us anymore. It's this and this service. I mean, ridiculous, ridiculous. Oh, yeah. So oh. I am so jealous of you right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I was actually responding to Owen's question about the tech community and the balance. So I have been part of the tech community for quite a while. I've seen the tech community in Kenya grow from no startup at all. Not really, but not a lot of startups. And there was the rise of tech spaces, the technology hubs where people will meet and just talk about a lot of things, then a lot of startups just started coming out. And together with the tech spaces, there were the user groups that just started forming. So we had various user groups like the GDG sponsored by Google. Uh, we had the JavaScript group. We had Android KE. There were a lot of other groups, Nairobi for Ruby, which I was a part of back then. There was an exponential growth in the late 2010s. And everyone just started getting into tech as programmers, as product managers, as all that. And it's grown so far so that right now, even Microsoft has a big office in Kenya, Nairobi, and they're hiring local talent. Those are some of the big companies that are already interested in the Kenyan tech system, ecosystem. So how long have you been in the tech space in Kenya then? Did you start in college or I guess how did you get into programming overall? Oh, huh. so uh, <laughs> <Big question> here. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, <laughs> I can start by so when I was in college, I was actually doing, I was majoring on electronics and computer engineering. Then I ended up also doing electronics and electrical engineering. So while in college, we started out user group called the JQuat Linux user group. JQuat is the university that we were in, and that is the first time I was ever in a user group, and that. The weekly meetups were amazing. There are a lot of there are a lot of presentations as to the tips and tricks on what you can do in your computer. So that was my first introduction into this. Then later in my university, the first tech space was opened. So we started visiting that a lot. And now events just started kicking in. So I'm talking about 2008, 9, 10. That's the period where that was happening. Then some startups just started coming out 2010, 11, 12. There were a lot of startups that just kicked into the tech space. Yeah. Cool. I went out, did some electrical engineering, got bored and bounced back to the tech community. When I came back, I became a lead of one of the communities around. So ever since then, I've been really committed into doing the community stuff and just organizing meetups. Did you happen to work in any of the community groups in the electrical engineering space, like IEEE oh. or any of the student branch things? Oh, no. That, in my opinion so far, it's uh, the electrical side in Kenya, it's not as active or as vibrant 
and as exposed as the technology side. I mean the computer science side. Yeah, it's not, and that's part of the reason I'm still in tech today because I felt a little bit stagnated due to the lack of the ability to just get out of the normal. Get out of the normal. What do you mean? My usual work was you get the designs from an architecture, impose your electrical design, do a bill of quantities, get it out, get a contractor. Now you supervise that work and. The standards we used there were actually British standards, so that were formed in either 1940s, the latest was around 1960s. So nothing was really changing, nothing was really exciting anymore because it's always the same thing being done by this in the same way for almost year over year. So that's exactly why I made the shift into this other end where you could do Ruby today, then in the next three, four months, you're like, mm-hmm, I'm going to Elixir. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're yeah. not going to switch from like, I'm bored with direct current, so I'm going to I'm gonna be an alternate current kind of guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, you have a building, you do, you're working on this building. It needs around three, four years to come to completion. There Where's that very, instant gratification? Yeah, mm. probably. But there's very little gymnastics you can do on a building. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless you're a gymnast and then you can jump all over it, you know? Yeah, a, a lot of safety features that you can't really... I think they call that parkour. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that the tech community and like the tech space is working out better for you. It's nice to hear about people coming from different backgrounds. Like they study something different and then they get into Elixir. They always have a more interesting... I mean, not more interesting, but an interesting take on on things that is very informed by previous study. So that's that's pretty cool. I'm guessing you don't want to go back to that then. Oh no, I would be very inexperienced. <laughs> well, I mean, does nerves have any overlap? Oh yeah, that's actually an advantage that I I really think I do have. The biggest reason as to why I settled for web. So this is how I ultimately got into tech. So after leaving the electrical world, I just needed something new to do. And I remembered that back in my university, I really had a lot of fun playing around with Linux. So I decided that I need to play around again, more with computers. So I went out, looked for a software and found out there's this school management software that I can actually just pack it up, sell it out to schools and make money. So that was my naive brain teaching me how to make money. So I went to the internet, searched for a school software, open source school software. By then I had known what open source is. So I was like, I know open source is free. Let me just search for open source and go sell it out to someone else. Came across a school management system. It was written in Ruby on Rails. So I called up a friend of mine who was interested in software. Hey, do you know what Ruby on Rails is? Oh yeah, I know Ruby on Rails. It's this easy way of programming. Oh, so I can program? Yes, it's an easy way of programming. It will take you two to three days and you'll understand everything. <laughs> oh, no. I remember so, exactly that same, like getting that same point. Oh, it's easy. And then yeah. it's like prose. And then you mm-hmm. look at it and you're like, what do these words mean? Mm-hmm. We all had that conversation yeah. with someone yes. at some point. <laughs> I, I honestly thought I'm going to take two to three days. And I ended up two, three months later. I still don't understand what's going on. I've already now invested in this. I have to do it. So that was my introduction to programming. I just started out. That's how I landed on Ruby on Rails. That's how I landed on Ruby. And it was a good fit for me because to me, it was actually an easier way of 
paying myself as I learn because it's easier to get people who need web services as you learn compared to any other. You can't do systems where I come from. You can't work on systems and make money off it. So that's the main reason as to why I was and I leaned towards web. So talking about nerves and the relation to what I've done, it's a really interesting thing to do. It's really interesting for me just because I've programmed microcontrollers before in C back in university. So this will be a nice thing to do. But nice and paying bills are two different things. <laughs> Where's the client base? Who are you going to work with? So the practicality of the knowledge that I, I have has always been restricted to the web because that's where it's practical for the moment. The practicality that I think about, which is very related to this topic, is that my dad is an electrical engineer. Whenever I go home for the holidays, I bring home my cat and we lock her out of his office because he has wires and circuit boards and string and soldering irons like all over his office. And she just will not let up. She wants in that <laughs> office. And I am very glad I don't have that kind of stuff laying around because she would be all over it all the time, gnawing, chewing, electrocuting herself. <sighs> That's a cat's paradise is like just trinkets to like play with and knock around. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> just knock the expensive thing off the table. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> well, speaking of, of fun stuff. We had this little exchange on Twitter. I have yeah. to ask you about, I don't know how you pronounce this, the Matatu buses? Perfect. I said it right? Yeah. That's... Please tell tell me <laughs> and everyone else about these buses, please. Oh, yeah. So Matatu, I now feel the urge to explain where the name came from. So it's a Swahili word, and we use it to refer to public transport buses or even the small cars. So public transport buses are called Matatu, and the name came from, Tatu is a Swahili word for three. Ma is Swahili sometimes to mean many. So matatu is three, three, three. As in, if there are many threes, you can say matatu. So it was back then when it was about, I think, three cents to take the bus. So we do have, I think they're called solicitors in English. Someone who tells you who is actually calling you to come get into the bus. Yes, I can't think of a better word for that. But when we talk about solicitors here, it's usually... Oh, and I'm, like I'm failing. Help or? me. Yeah, like selling. Something. I think of solicitors like a salesperson. I don't think I've been on a bus where like they ordered people into the bus, like in an order. So they're basically standing at the door of the bus and just calling you to come to their bus because there are probably around four buses at the same at the same place. So there's no order okay. into which you get into the bus. So they'll keep shouting that it's open. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they keep shouting to you to get to their bus so that you can go. This is like how some of them operate, not all of them. You have about two, three buses. They convince you to get into their bus. If the bus is, is full, then it is. Yes. Okay. That bus is better than this bus. You like, exactly. want to no. ride the more fun bus, maybe? Mm -hmm. so, Party bus? <laughs> yep. The competitive that you're talking about is some of the buses are on the extreme side. So if you've ever seen a bus where behind every seat there's a TV, so for every seat that you seated on, there's a TV and there's a big TV at the front for everyone else to watch. Sometimes they go to the extent of having a TV facing back at the rear of the bus and at the side of the bus. When you get into the bus, you have club lighting, literally club lighting, blue lights, yellow lights, green, changing colors. There's usually these blinking colors that you have in clubs at the dance floor. They have that too. 
<laughs> and this is for your daily commute to work, right? Oh yes. Oh yes. It's like okay, I mean awesome. I have to give okay, I have to give our audience some context here. We were talking about I think we what did we start with? We were talking about how inefficient airplanes are at oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And then around the same time, I saw an article about how the DC, like metro buses, we're going to start using both the middle or the end, like the, where you normally get off the bus to also get on the bus. So there used to be only the entry point at the front of the bus with the card swipe so you could pay to get on the bus. But I think what it looks like they're doing is they're adding the middle section to be able to do that. And I was thinking about the airplane stuff at the same time. So I we tagged Sigu and I was like, oh, look at this. And we talked about the Matatu buses. So well, this now they is need where to add got. flashing lights and like, you know, oh, yeah. dance, and there's like dance balls loud and stuff. Music. They, the <laughs> yeah, music is crazy loud. <laughs> do you have TVs? normal buses or is that the only oh, bus yes, that yes, you can yes. take to work? Uh, we, okay. Yeah, we do have normal <laughs> buses. Uh, you don't have to take that. But if you want to beat the traffic in the morning, you definitely need to take that because they're fast and loud. The drivers, yeah, point. they'll why get you. A, they'll get you there fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get why the fast is a factor, but why is the loud part a factor in you getting there faster? It seems to have been inspired more by the hip hop culture, and it's more of the music. And I sent you Sunday a photo of the graffiti of why am I forgetting his name? We'll have to post the tweet thread in the in the show notes. Yeah. Oh yeah, matatus have different graffitis. Yeah, it can have. A photo of you, actually someone draws you on the matatu. They, we've seen hmm. Barack Obama drawn, LeBron, we've seen a lot of other politicians being drawn on the matatus. Just, it's an expression of culture and art, actually. That's like the summary of what a matatu is. I'm glad. So I guess for some more context, I think I was familiar with it. I'd seen it in a TV show mm-hmm. that I watched on Netflix a few years ago. But I didn't want that to be my only like I wanted to come into this thinking nothing like have because, you know, you can't believe what you see on TV. So I was just (laughs) like, okay, I did see that something like that. And I remember this like competitive, the solicitor, the camaraderie bus, it's more fun Mm -hmm. thing and it being a fun ride and the whole thing. But I, you know, it was just happened to be in a show. Didn't mean it was real. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now I'm seeing pictures. This reminds me of like anyone who likes to go street racing. If they decided to like let people into their car, oh no! <laughs> this is exactly what you're describing. It's like it's loaded to the brim with lights and TVs. Like, they're going fast. The music's loud. Mm-hmm. That looks like a lot of fun. Every so is it, do you have like a life right? goal to like be on a Matatu bus before you retire? Or do you regularly take them? Oh yeah, I mean, well, to have it like your face on one. Oh, if, to be if like if at like that level of celebrity, yeah. <laughs> there goes Sigu on that Matatu. <laughs> Yeah, but no one will recognize who you are and they'll be like, mm, there's a matatu with a weird <laughs> person on it. I don't know which matatu that is. <laughs> I have like five developers. That would be like, fun. Oh, I know him. <laughs> what if we just had like a number of Elixir developers on one? We could just make a, an Elixir matatu happen. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We can have an Elixir matatu as long as the graffitis are awesome. They'll be like, I got into an Elixir matatu. I don't know what the hell that is, but... I'll always be taking that matter because the music is loud enough. There are a lot of enough TVs. Sometimes they're actually tinted so no one can see what's inside. Oh, no. Completely. <laughs> oh, no. That is not the only kind of buses we have. We also have the normal commute buses where you queue up, get into the bus, and just go home. So mostly when you're from work and you're just tired, you don't want a lot of all that. Just queue up, get into the bus, and 
go back home. So it's just one of the many options that we do have. Well, I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it because, you know, I actually think maybe this season more than most, we've gotten a chance to to chat with people really all over the world and, and definitely across the country. And it's really fun to hear about like cultures from different places and like the tech communities around them, but also just like things that make your culture unique. And I'm terrified. I don't think I'd ever want to actually go on one, but I would pitch in for a Elixir bus. That would be fun. <laughs> Sunday, you need to come to Kenya then. Okay. <laughs> it's not as scary as we've made it sound. It's as fun as I've tried to make it sound. I don't even like the party buses here. And they sound like <laughs> more party. I am an old lady at heart. <laughs> <laughs> but we we can we can try to make that happen. ElixirConf oh, yeah. Kenya next next round. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, you had ElixirConf Kenya this year. Can you tell us about it? Oh yeah, it's actually ElixirConf Africa. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, it uh, was it hosted by the Kenya Meetup Group though? Yes, it was hosted by the okay. Kenyan Meetup Group, but mostly also supported by other people from different parts of Africa. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So we, Africa. Yes, it's ElixaConf Africa. We had organizers from different countries in Africa who really mm-hmm. helped us out in this. The aim for, just if we back up to when we were talking about the different meetups that we normally have, we started out with the weekly meetups, then the monthly. And after having enough monthlies, we were like, okay, let's now reach out to the whole of Africa. So this has been a gradual thing from the office at Podi out to let's reach out to Kenyans who are working on Elixir. And now what if we reach out to Africans who are working on Elixir? So that's how Elixir Conf Africa was born. We reached out to as many organizers on the existing Elixir meetups within Africa. We tried to get them and just make them a part of this conference. It was a success because immediately after that, then Elixir Ghana was born. So this event actually led to the Ghanaian, the Ghanaian community just springing up with their, their own elixir. That's part of the success that we had. So this was a two-day event. Uh, the first day was full of the conference speakers were giving out, it was more of speeches. Then after that, the following day was more of workshops just to expand what the knowledge. We intentionally made the workshops free, being sponsored by our sponsors. We really appreciate them. And this is just to get more people into Elixir in Africa and just to get people excited about Elixir. That was this year. We are already in track to organizing for the Elixir conference next year. So we're also reaching out to other sponsors and speakers at the moment. Cool. Well, mm-hmm. I'm really glad that's happening. You think it'll be in person next year or you think it'll be virtual again? We're probably just going to do virtual again. In person, I've organized events before. In person is hectic <laughs> yeah even yeah. even you and i hosting lightning talks at ElixirConf oh. was was one hour of a lot of coordination <laughs> oh yes it's it's a lot of coordination and if you're doing hybrid then it's it becomes another level of coordination if you remember even the ElixirConf that you were in uh we were in sunday when chris mccord was just trying to speak and there was no way of reaching him to tell him that we can't hear him so yeah. it's just He's still just talking. <laughs> I don't remember there being audio issues, but I remember it it freezing a few times. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. I think I actually I'm not a huge fan of of hybrid mm-hmm. events or like environments. Mm-hmm. I, I really think it needs to be one or the other to be the most accessible because one group suffers. 
one or the other, virtual or in person. That's just my personal opinion. But, you know, I understand that we're trying to get back to in person and that we don't, I don't know. It's a hard problem to solve. And the other reason as to why I will still hold on to the physical meetup, traveling in Africa is expensive. Uh-huh. It's so expensive. If I got from California to New York and back for, I think it costs around $280. Yeah, that's on the cheaper yeah. side. Yeah, but on it's the possible. cheaper side. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. I did it. I, it's, it's you might not show possible. up with your bags, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked that I'm able to even show up with my bags. Um, I had my backpack and it was perfectly okay. It was mm-hmm. way cheaper than that if I didn't even have any bag on me. Yeah, because yeah. people travel like that. Yeah, and, and that was like, <laughs> that was about five hour flight. Mm-hmm. Now, just to put it in comparison, if you do, hello, we have a new guest on Owen's side. Owen has a lot of cats. If you do one hour, 30 minute flight from Kenya to Dar es Salaam, Nairobi to Dar es Salaam, one way is going to cost you $300. It's insane. One way in only an hour and a half? Yeah, it's $300. Wow. It's it's expensive to fly in Africa. So however much you like to have a conference in Africa, it's going to be expensive for anyone who wants to attend this conference. Mm. A bus from Dar es Salaam to Nairobi is 18 hours. So that option is a little too much to ask for. So that's the other reason we're probably going to keep it virtual for quite a long time. Okay. Well, that gives me and a a chance to join. So, you know, we'll wake up at 1 a.m. and and figure it out. (laughs) I'm going to commission my own Amitatu bus just to go around the block so I can just get that experience right before I join virtually yes <laughs> and you really be in the kenyan mindset mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but we wish we could yeah yeah absolutely taking a very uh right sharp right turn here we really do want to ask you sigu about the impact of elixir you know specific to the season but also just like you have talked you know before in person or just with me like after lightning talks about Things that you you really hope to see, and you know, with Elixir Kenya, but also for Elixir specifically, Elixir just the language. Where do you hope to see Elixir going in the next five to ten years? Oh, fortune teller time. Let me tell the fortune. Okay, he's <laughs> pulling the crystal ball out for everyone who can't see him. Oh yeah, the, the wizard Light hat is dimmer. coming on. <laughs> the matatu Bog lights are flashing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So actually, this is more related to how I got into Elixir and why I started working with Elixir. I was initially in Ruby, almost everyone's story, (laughs) except a few who are in JavaScript and Java. I was initially in Elixir, then at this point, Podi was existing, and I got a client who needed a payment processing application. So I was like, I've been studying Elixir for a while. This is a good use case. Let me just try this out. And with pure cowboy plug, I managed to do the processing. After that, I was like, I need to train people to use this. So I migrated everyone in the company into Elixir. Don't worry, this is related to the question you've asked. I managed to migrate everyone into Elixir. And within a few months, they were actually able to write Elixir code, even though in the OOP mindset. So my work in this was actually to correct them and make them think functionally. 
it was hard because I was in the OOP mindset myself, but I now needed to correct someone to get off the OOP mindset. So I had to make this intentional effort of not making the mistake. So we did this for quite some time. And over time, you just realize that they get it. They just start getting it. And initially, I encourage them to use pipes. Find a way of piping this because if you make them find a way of piping this, then they're probably going to think about the data first, not the function or not the method. So that really encouraged them to start thinking functionally. This is related to what you've asked, Sandy, because over the course of this period, I have realized that I have trained a lot of people directly or indirectly in Elixir, but I can't hire all of them. I cannot hire everyone, but I have time to work with them and just get them started. Elixir is going to be having this, it might, let me not tell the wrong thing, it might have this problem of we having a lot of seniors and not enough juniors in the future. And this needs to be corrected intentionally. We need to put intentional efforts for Elixir so that we have a lot of juniors because people branch out. They might do this for two, three years and they decide to become managers and all that. And we need a lot of seniors. So we need to have intentional efforts of getting a lot of people into this particular ecosystem. So this is the request to everyone else out there. Hire the juniors, find a way of making them learn and work if you have the resources. If you think you don't have the resources, I personally did this with one client and not a lot of money <laughs> to play around and experiment. So it's something possible. It's something I've done before. And if we flood our Elixir ability or if we flood our community with enough juniors, then we'll have enough people to hire and make managers and all that. That's like, for me, what I think the future of Elixir should be. Let's start hiring the junior developers. Let's give them internships. Let's make them, just give them something. You shall figure out the best way to work with a junior once you have them. How do you identify someone who might be a good junior Elixir developer who is not working with Elixir at all? Like maybe they're coming from another language or maybe another career? Oh. Like, do you have ideas around that? Awesome. This is what has worked for me, but it's not like 100% foolproof. So currently at Podi, what we do is if you, we take them from the university most of the time. So if you're in the university and you need somewhere to get your attachment, that is the industry, industrial attachment, then we open up in May and December and January. We open up, but we give you prerequisites. You must go through Elixir school. After you've gone through Elixir school, we call you for an interview. So someone who's gone through Elixir school and they've kind of enjoyed or they've kind of persevered to just try and understand what it is, is someone you can have a conversation with. So if they go through the Elixir school, the next thing we do is to give them a challenge. They do it at their own time. Then they need to submit it to GitHub. And that means they now know how to use GitHub because by the time they're Submitting it, then you know they know a few GitHub commands or Git commands, sorry. Now, during the interview process, we might actually just ask you to repeat exactly what you did during your take home because it's not we trying to determine how good you can think about things on the fly because we assume that you knew. That is our natural assumption. Then during this process, we try to figure out if you're a better listener 
or you don't listen at all. So if you come out as someone who listens and is curious, then we'll pick you uh, even if you don't remember a lot of things. So we pick up people not based on how much Elixir they know, but how much they are willing to learn. And some of these are instinctive. We have once picked someone we weren't sure about them and they ended up being the person we thought they were. They were really not helpful. So some of these things are instinctive. Sometimes you trust your instincts. It works. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sometimes you hear like we need more juniors and it's kind of like a missing step. How do we get them? <laughs> or like, where do they come from? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So where do they come from? I've literally been getting them out of the thin air because just open up for internships. We literally call out for someone to apply for internships. Just, hey, yeah, we're offering internships. If you need an internship, just reach out. Minimum four months for you to intern with us. So once they reach out, we make them more interested. We've converted someone from Java. We've converted one from PHP. They were like, mm, no, I don't think there's something you can do. And we're like, okay, do this with us for the next four months, then switch to whatever it is you want. By the time we're done with four months, they're like, mm, where can I get another job? <laughs> and I just want to work on Elixir. Ah. Yeah. It's a trap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have to say, I appreciate this mindset a lot. Obviously, this is something I care about a lot personally. I went on a mini rant that Rose, our, our emerging director, very helpfully composed into a blog post. <laughs> so it was less ranty and more blog posty about how Elixir needs to hire more junior engineers. And I think that is something that, I mean, you I can't put it better than you did. Or if I could, I already wrote it down somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, at Smart Logic, we also very strongly believe in this. Like you just have to have this desire to learn. And then if it's the right fit for you, like it'll present itself. Because yep. I mean, with our apprenticeship program, we very similarly just want people to come learn and then give them an opportunity to get themselves into a real working environment and see how it goes. People always present it like it's like this crazy, huge infraction on your work life and the projects you have going on. But just like anything that's a little bit challenging, like starting a new diet or working out more or just anything, you just have to make a little bit of a mind shift. Yeah. Just one thing, wake up 30 minutes earlier and empty the dishwasher before you start your day. And then you'll probably be able to cook something for yourself rather than order takeout. Like if you just give yourself a little bit of organization, it's possible to hire junior engineers. Oh, We're yeah. going to be here all night if I talk more. About it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm so, I'm so glad that you said that. Sigu. Mm -hmm. Just like in general on the impact of Elixir, can you speak to how Elixir has really impacted your life? I think we kind of have heard it, but just in a more specific targeted way, how has Elixir impacted you? This is actually getting into Elixir being the accident that it was. It's been an amazing experience because first of all, it's a small enough community for me to know people and talk to them. Even those who quote-unquote, the language gods. Those who, in other languages, you hear about them and read about them in books because the community is so big that you can't really reach out. The advantage of this is I always just sit down and say that I can't be like. So I look up to them because I know there are people I have spoken to. Most of them, are, we've had either a Q&A or we've had a chat on Twitter or whatever it is. So I know and it keeps pushing me that 
I can get better and be like them in the near future. So that's like the biggest advantage that I've had in Elixir and in this particular community. Being able to to believe that I can get better and no one is really that much of a super god. And if they are, then I'm talking to super gods. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that inspirational note, Sigu, do you have any final plugs or ask for the audience, places where people can find you in social media? On Twitter, my name is, my handle, S underscore IGU. Feel free to reach out. I recently opened up my DMs. Uh, Closing it doesn't really help. Any fun project that I'm currently working on, not really a project, but there's Teach Yourself Computer Science. It's a set of books that are suggested if you never really went through the computer science path. It's the books that you need to go through so that you can start thinking like a computer science student. So that's what I've started going through. Uh, it starts with the structured structure and interpretation of computer programs. Oh yeah, I got it right this time. So that's what it starts with. It goes all the way down to databases. So different books that can help you through. So that's the journey I've already started working on just so that I improve. Um, it's an awesome list of things that you need to go through if you never really went through. And what inspired me to do this again is when I talked about being able to talk to the gods of the language, I realized that they plug in a few computer science terms. They know them. To them, it's normal. To me, it's something new. And I want to get to where I understand exactly what I'm doing. And this is the other thing that drove me into Elixir because it's explicit. I know where things are coming from most of the time. And I know where they're heading to. So teach yourself computer science. <laughs> I guess that's how I can summarize it. Amazing. I think we could all benefit from that. Oh, yeah. Cool. Well, that is it for this episode of Elixir Wizards. Thank you again to our guest, Sigu Magua, for joining us today. Elixir Wizards is a Smart Logic production. Today's hosts include myself, Sandy Mint, and my co-host, Owen Bickford. Our producer is Bonnie Lander, and our executive producer is Rose Burt. We get production and promotion assistance from Michelle McFadden. Here at Smart Logic, we build custom web and mobile software. We're always looking to take on new projects. We work in Elixir, Rails, React, Kubernetes, and more. If you need a custom piece of software built, hit us up. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Follow at Smart Logic on Twitter for news and episode announcements. You can also join us on the Elixir Wizards Discord. Just head over to the podcast page to find the link. And don't forget to join us again next week for more on the impact of Elixir.